We here at the Yak Radio acknowledge the traditional custodians, the Iraq or Bundjalung people of Byron Bay here in the Northern Rivers, New South Wales, and the wider Bundjalung nation. We also acknowledge the lands, water and heritage of their culture here on Iraq or country. We'd also like to pay our respects to the wider Bundjalung nation and First Nations people of Australia. This is Yak Radio! Passing the mic to the next generation. Let's dive into the cultural landscape of the Byron Bay region through the eyes... No, the ears! Okay, the ears of the young people of this area. For the next half hour, we will explore... Youth culture, current events... And important topics. We will showcase impressive people from the area... Exploring local histories and mysteries... And present the most relevant and important information you need to know. All brought to you by... The young voices of this region. Yak Radio! Your local youth show on Bay FM. Welcome to Yak Radio, the local Byron Youth Radio Show. We acknowledge that we are in Bundjalung and Arakal country. I'm Olive, your host for today. Yak Radio is about promoting the voices of the local youth. We have interesting and topical information for you today. Today is the 25th January, so tomorrow is Survival Day, also known as Australia Day. And so today we will ask the young people of this area, the Bundjalung and Araqua lands, their thoughts on this contentious day. We will listen to the final segment of Sophie's Home to Billow podcast. Nadas and Priya have been detained for two years and 326 days. Listen in as Sophie recaps their story and shares with us how we can make a difference. Hey, it's Susha, and later on in the show, you'll hear my interview with Lydia Thorpe, and we're going to be talking all about Invasion Day and justice for First Nations people. Stay tuned. Enjoy the show. Stories, perspectives, and challenges tackled by the youth of the Northern Rivers. Yak Radio. My family doesn't celebrate Australia Day. I think that subject is quite controversial because it was quite a horrible thing that happened to the Aboriginal people and it's a little bit odd that we're celebrating that. I think Australia Day should not be on the date that it is on. Um, I think it's very insensitive that it is still on the 26th. So, yeah, I'm not really with that. I think the idea of Australia Day, you know, like as in celebrating Australia is a nice idea, but... It being on the date that it is, I think it definitely should be moved. Um, Australia Day, um, because I, uh, my parents are not Australian. Uh, I'm Australian. I was born in Australia. I don't. We we don't really celebrate Australia Day. Sure, we'll have a lamington cake in the shape of Australia, but we are not big. You know, people who drive around, we, who paint their car in the Australian flag and then drive around the neighbourhood. We you know, just invite a couple of friends over and then just that's a day for us to just, you know, hang out and just chill at home, yeah. Because of the Aborigines, they feel it is Invasion Day because this was the day that they came and they stole uh, Australia from them because it was their land and they they proclaimed it as their land, the the white people, that is, and uh, that was a major day in history for them and not in a good way and... There's a lot of controversy about whether Australia Day should be celebrated or its name changed to Invasion Day, and yeah. I don't really agree on Australia Day, like the day that it's on, but yeah. Um, that it should be on the wrong, another day. That's about it, point blank. Don't think it needs to say anymore, just 
that. <laughs> no, because I don't celebrate it. Mm. Yeah, um, I don't personally don't really celebrate Australia Day. I think my mum does, though. Yeah, I personally don't celebrate it. Um, but yeah. Be yourself because an original is worth more than just a copy. My name is Sophie and this is my podcast Home to Below which I created as my great major work. I set out on a journey to discover more about the Tamil Sri Lankan family detained on Christmas Island. So far we covered where the family's legal case stands and the geopolitical Sri Lankan history that led to their need to flee. Whether you're driving or at home listening, be sure to tune in. As Priya and Nardes' counsellor, Margot heard firsthand of the atrocities Nardes and Priya faced. Nardes was 12 at the time when the um, the war was going on over there. Now, the Tamil had a really bad reputation of using children for suicide bombing and things like that. Now, when you're a child and that, and that not growing up in that, it was a case of whether it was through the Tamil that regime or the Sri Lankan regime, either way, if he didn't do as he was told, he was going to be killed. Now, this has a few shrapnel wounds still in his body. He was in a training school and which was hit by bombs. He still carries all this trauma with him and he didn't want to be in a war. The only reason he agreed to, to go with the Tamil and fight was because they threatened him with the death of his father, who was too old to join the army. Because the war went on for quite some time, Priya witnessed the burning alive of her fiancé. Um, she witnessed things happening to her mother. She witnessed the Sri Lankan people coming in and just shooting their dogs and things like that. Dr Withers explained that post-Civil War, Tamil still live in fear. Ordinarily, when you have a large civil war like this, at the end of that war, there's usually something like a peace process or um, a period of reconciliation. There's been no real peace process and there's been no real reconciliation. In fact, in the north of Sri Lanka, where Tamil populations are concentrated, there's still enormous militarization. I asked Dr. Withers if the current Sri Lankan president is likely to improve the situation for Tamils. The current Sri Lankan president, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, is brother to the president who was presiding over Sri Lanka as the civil war was drawn to a close. And he was also the minister for defence. So he actually played a really pivotal role and has now not only been elected as Sri Lanka's president, but just as of a few days ago has been re-elected in a landslide victory, which allows him to sort of consolidate power. And I think that's really quite concerning because they've, the way the two of them and the Rajapaksa family have ruled Sri Lanka has been in this kind of quasi, like almost like a monarchy in a sense. So I'm quite concerned, I guess, looking forward as to, to what kind of situations are going to develop in Sri Lanka now that they've really consolidated power. Dr. Withers talked about the accusations against the current president. The most damning, really, would be the kinds of atrocities that were committed during the final months of the war. 
specifically the way that the Sri Lankan army designated safe spaces and no-fire zones in the north of the country, which meant that Tamil civilians flocked into these designated areas, while the Sri Lankan army then started bombarding those same areas with heavy artillery. And the death count in those final months of civilian and non-civilian Tamils is estimated to be anywhere between 40,000 and 70,000 people. I asked Dr Withers if he feels the family have a legitimate asylum claim. There was a legitimate threat to their, their lives and livelihoods in coming to Australia, and that on that basis, I, I believe asylum should have been granted into a, a permanent protection visa. But they should be allowed to, to remain in Australia, given the length of time they've already spent in this country, that both their children were born here and have grown up knowing Australia as home, and that they've essentially constructed their a future for themselves and their lives here in Australia. So, I mean, that argument on top of as I said, what I believe is a very legitimate asylum claim, makes me feel that there's, there's absolutely no reason why um, either of them or their children should be rejected from asylum in Australia. Margot and Angela describe their fears for the family should they be returned to Sri Lanka. If they go back there, I don't know that they'll survive. It's purely that simple. What I see is, is that, yeah, they'll probably arrest Nardes. Prayer will be put into a detention centre with no way to earn any money, to buy any food, to pay for anything. Her health will deteriorate, therefore the kids will have nobody to look after them. What more can I say? This family, if returned to Sri Lanka, they are, you know, they're facing certain persecution. And so you fight. You fight for your friends, you fight for your family. And at the end of the day, they are no different to you and I. You know, they're mothers, fathers, sons, daughters. You know, they are people. They are people with hearts. And we have a way to keep them safe. We have a way to make sure that they have flourishing futures. So that's that's why ultimately it's just so important to me because it, it actually does come down to life or death and I choose life for these people. Australia and Sri Lanka have joined forces to stop Tamil refugees fleeing to Australia. The Australian government has invested millions in patrol boats for their allies to patrol international waters. I asked interviewees their views on how the government have handled the family's case. I believe that the Australian government finds that politically convenient to, to assume that it's safe for migrants to return home. And that really the, the broader discussion we're talking about here is this long-standing political discourse around boat people arriving in Australian shores and all these different measures which the Australian government has put in place to try and stop these arrivals. You would never, ever, ever let this happen to your friends or your family members. You just wouldn't. There's been so much wrong about the way that this case was handled but it's never too late to make it right. And, you know, you don't, want, you don't want a story like this on the wrong side of your conscience. There's only one right thing to do here, and that's just to do the right thing by a family instead of a crazy political stunt that it's become. Policies in relation to people who've arrived here and sought asylum by boat are extremely cruel in many, many ways. And they breach many, uh, they violate human rights. They hold people in limbo 
and they cause very, very clearly cause a deterioration in people's mental health and well-being. So I would say that it seems as if a lot of these policies are more motivated by political considerations than by either practical, financial or humane, humanitarian considerations. And I don't see any reason other than a narcissistic, obnoxious person in government stopping them from being part of the Australian society purely because of his pig-headedness and his dislike for brown people, as he describes them. They've done nothing to deserve this treatment that they're getting. They are good, kind-hearted, hard-working people. They have souls. They have the same as you and I. They have feelings the same as you and I. They're just people who, who just all they want is a place to be safe. The law isn't compassionate. The law doesn't say, well, that doesn't make sense because those people are suffering. And the law doesn't say, well, that's costing taxpayers crazy amounts of money. That can't make, that, that's, that's insane. The minister and the prime minister have the power to veto that and to make a, an exception based on compassion. I asked interviewees what can be done to bring Priya, Nardes and their girls home to Billow. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, get, keep getting louder and uh, making as much noise about it as possible. Look, it, it's very difficult, I think, um, in these situations to, to really sort of um, push for, for any sort of hard outcome beyond the small acts which we can all do in terms of contacting local MPs and putting pressure on them to, to make this a political issue and say that the people of Australia do not want them to be deported and do not agree with the way that they've been treated but also to, wherever possible, put support to the, the Home to Biloela campaign and, and share the message as, as far and wide as, as we can and say that this is not what we collectively as Australians stand for in the way we want to treat refugees and asylum seekers in this country. Well, I think um, the, the biggest thing is to make the phone calls to politicians and even to request meetings with politicians. I think we know fairly confidently that there's a lot of support for Nadez and Priya remaining in Australia from Labor and the Greens, but we really need the pressure on the LNP MPs and senators just to see that people aren't giving up and that we're going to keep speaking up for this family until the right thing is done. You know what, at the moment, because they're stuck on Christmas Island, I think just following the, the Facebook page and supporting that, but also writing letters to Kopika and Fanika or Priya and Nanas and sending them, you can get the address from the Facebook page, you can ask for it there. Just writing letters of support, they love getting things like that because they're very isolated, they get nothing. They would just love to have that. Keep sharing their story. Um, talk to people about this family, spread, spread what's going on and share the truth. And for those who, you know, if you connect with a tiny part of that story, then write, write to your MP, write to your federal member, write to the immigration ministers. Let them know that we are witnessing, that we are observing what's going on and that we don't stand for it. And another really nice, simple thing, I think, as well, is for people to just keep spreading positive energy.
you know, keep keep talking about this family like they are Australians, because ultimately they are. three-part series of Home to Billow. You can find this full story as a streamable podcast on Spotify Podcasts as Home to Billow. Thank you to everyone who supported me in the process of creating this and more generally everyone fighting to bring this family home to Billow. Thank you for tuning in. It is during our darkest moments that we must focus to see the light. Youth Radio on Bay FM 99.9. You are listening to Yak Radio. Dare. Lead. Change. Combat. Revolution. Action. Uprising. Inspiration. Fire. In spirit. Future. Hey, it's Susha Chu, and you're listening to Be The Change. You'll hear conversations with leaders, shakers, and changemakers. We talk hard-hitting topics and general banter, making space for conversations about a positive future and igniting the power within us to be the change. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Be The Change Northern Rivers. I'm your host, Susha Chu. Today, we'll be connecting with Lydia Thorpe, a Gunai Gunajimara woman, Australian politician, businesswoman, and human rights, forest, and climate activist. In 2020, Lydia became the first federal Aboriginal senator for the state of Victoria and the first federal Aboriginal representative for the Greens. Lydia fights for those who have been silenced. She is the change. Hi, Lydia. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start off by asking you five fast favourites. What is your favourite food? I would have to say pho. Yum. What is your favourite movie? My all-time favourite movie when I was growing up was Grease. I just love Grease Lightning. So good. Such a good movie. What is your favourite place? My favourite place is being on country, on Japarung country, and the the landscape and the and beautiful Garra word uh, just up from Japarung country. So being on my own country. Beautiful. And what is your favorite way to relax? Being on country. It's my relaxation, it's my healing, it's my meditation. What is your favorite song? Blackboard band, I think it is. But I've loved that song all my life. Black boy, black boy. <laughs> the color of your skin is your pride and joy. So how did your journey with advocating for change begin? It began, I suppose, as a, as a toddler, listening to the conversations of my old people and always being amongst those yarns about strategy and resistance and how we were going to survive as Aboriginal people in this country. So... You know, at five, I started protesting and and called out the injustice from primary school and continue to do it to, to today. So it started very young. It started in the Black Panther movement. 
back in the late 60s, early 70s, and it was a time of an uprising of Aboriginal people having a strong voice. Absolutely. And did you always want to be a senator for parliament and represent the Greens? No way. No way did I ever think about being a politician. It's not a career option that I've chosen. It's just something that has happened. And I think now for very good reasons. And I believe that my ancestors are guiding me on this journey that since I came into this world and that I'm there for a reason. So, you know, I've been a Victorian parliamentarian and now being a federal senator only gives me a greater platform to do what I've always been doing. Definitely. And it's so great that you do have that platform now to really like speak out and share your voice. And can you tell me why it's so important to obtain recognition and justice for First Nations people? It's so important because we have to come together as a nation. We have to unite this nation. We've been divided for almost 250 years. It's it's never been any different. The oppression, the dispossession and the massacres that have occurred on these lands right across the country is a part of our our dark history that no one wants to talk about. So I think we have to go through some pain of acknowledging what's happened and how that has affected Aboriginal people in this country right through to 2021. We can't reconcile, we can't unite, we have to address the invasion. You know, the invasion happened and everyone says get over it. People say you've got the apology and it's usually non-Aboriginal people saying this, right, because they don't understand the real history of this country. We need a treaty that can be the mechanism that can truly unite us as a people and look forward to something that, you know, look forward to a day or a week or our future to celebrate the beautiful country we do live in, how Aboriginal people have looked after this country since time immemorial. Exactly. And I just, everything that you said there was so like powerful. And I especially think when I was looking at like a lot of the posts for Invasion Day and Change the Date and things, there were always comments which were just like, get over it and stuff like that. And it's so hard to battle against that. Well, it's also good to see how other people are thinking and and how much work we need to actually do to bring those people along on the journey. You know, your education about the true history of this country, older generations in this country weren't fortunate to have the real history taught in their education system. So they've been denied the truth through the racist educational system that they were raised in. And it's now time to re-educate these people and bring them in on the journey. Definitely. With Invasion Day coming up on the 26th, can you tell me why it's so essential that we really take action to acknowledge the real history of Australia and abolish the date? It's extremely important and what we are celebrating here as a country. And I don't think people truly understand that. And that's why it is important for rallies to happen on the 26th of January. It's important to have dawn services on this day of mourning. 
William Cooper, one of our elders who led protests on the 26th of January 1938, called for a day of mourning on that day. Uh, we need to continue the legacy of our old people and fight for this day to be a day of mourning so that people can have a moment to reflect on what's happened and feel some of the pain that we feel so that we can move forward to remember and remind ourselves that the injustice still goes on in 2021. You know, a, a war was declared on our people by the, the colonisers and it hasn't stopped. It's, it's never ended. And we only need to look at the statistics of the situation that Aboriginal people are in in our own country to see that that war has never ended against us. And it's, it's time that that war is ended and that we come together for peace and treaty is a mechanism to do that. For sure, and I really hope that we can all come together to create that change. How can listeners take action on these issues of justice? Well, first and, and foremost, it's not one day of one year. It's 365 days that we need to take action. And you can take action by educating yourself on the true history of this country, but educating your family, your friends, your workmates, and using your places of influence to educate people on what's happened in this country and how we can move forward together. So now on the 26th of January at our rallies, being COVID safe, of course, and, and following the COVID rules, so if you do attend those rallies, wear black on the 26th of, of January to mark a day of mourning and pay the rent for being on stolen land. You know, people say that happened so long ago, get over it. But our land was stolen from us. We weren't allowed to speak our language. We had our resources stolen from us and continue to have those resources stolen from us. So stolen gold, stolen coal, stolen gas, the list goes on. So it's about calling that out also and turning it around. Look at what will bring people together and that is truth. That is some pain along the way, but it's also about healing. We don't have a leader, unfortunately, in this country that will acknowledge the true history. So it's people power that will change this. And I encourage you all to step up, wear an Aboriginal flag, stick to truth-telling and treaty. We can't do wrong by following those simple measures and turning up, calling it out, calling out white privilege, calling out racism. It's something that will not only benefit Aboriginal people, but it will benefit all of us uh, who live in this country today. Absolutely. And that's wonderful advice. Is there anything else that you would like to mention today? And I think young people need to have more of a platform in this country because young people are tomorrow's leaders. You know, think about running for parliament. Think about running for positions of power because you are our future and you have the opportunity to change this nation. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lydia, for spending time with me today and connecting about this issue. If you want to hear more from Lydia, you can follow her on Instagram. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Be The Change, conversations about important issues with changemakers from all around the world. As young people, we have the ability to initiate our own positive future. Remember, you can wish for change or you can be the change. Thank you.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's Yak Radio. As our young people have, ask yourself what are your thoughts on Australia Day. We will be back next week, Monday, 10.30 to 11am, here on Bay FM. Thanks for listening to Yak Radio on Bay FM 99.9. Do you know someone who would love to be involved? Contact us through bys.org.au. Have any ideas of things you would like to hear or talk about? Call us for a yak on 6685 7777.